Hello, everybody. This is episode 31. Hello, everybody. I hope you had a good week. Birthday month is all wrapped up, and I am so happy. <laughs> Not that I don't enjoy celebrating my people. It's just a lot of work, and it's nice to have the work complete. All right. All right, so this week I would like to tell my 2016 self that when I first started learning about my daughter's health issues, that I would start the grieving process. And it was going to be long and drawn out. Because that's how it goes when you're raising a child that has special needs. Now, most commonly, The stages of grieving are disbelief and shock, denial, guilt and pain, bargaining, anger, depression, and acceptance. I'm going to go through each of these and share what it was like or what I have seen it to be like when grieving for a child with special needs. And you're kind of grieving for the death of the child that you thought that you would have and the life that you thought that you would have, but you don't. On a side note, not everyone processes all the stages or processes them in order. The specific situation and individual kind of call for the unique grieving process that you go through. So If this isn't something that you specifically relate to, like all of the stages, or you notice that in your own grieving you skipped, or maybe you notice like, maybe you notice that you didn't really have a grieving process, you know, that's also something to be curious about. The first stage is disbelief or shock, which produces a feeling of numbness and doubt in response to learning about the loss. It's a self-preservation kind of a thing that that humans do. And I definitely experienced this stage, but it was not as pronounced or as long as some of the other stages that I experienced. But experienced in an intense way, this can really throw someone for a loop. So for me, it was more gradual, like a little at a time happened and a little at a time happened. And before anything like big news happened, um, it like I could already see that things, you know, that it was coming. But For others that I know, it's a lot more sudden and intense. So for example, you may have gone to a routine doctor's checkup and then they find something is wrong or going on with your child and it calls for an immediate surgery and they tell you to pack your bags and go to the hospital. And before you know it, you're, you know, whisked away and you're in the hospital waiting room while your child is in in an emergency surgery. And it feels like being blindsided by life is what I've been told. And you go through, you know, being a normal mom when you wake up to when you go to bed, you're a mom with a child that has special needs and in a matter of hours, you know, and without warning, this happens. And, oh, right, by the way, your life will never be the same, you know, and so this is devastating uh, when things happen this way. And although this isn't what happened for me in finding out my daughter's issues, like 
I do remember having an experience like this when she was sick. Like we were on holiday in another state for a friend's wedding. And luckily we had a lot of family in that state. And uh, my daughter was sick and I thought, okay, let's take her to the emergency room and we'll just hopefully get an antibiotic because she has some sort of virus or um, some sort of infection and it's not going away. And when we went in there and they took her vitals, they whisked us away into the emergency room and we ended up staying in the hospital for five days because she had um, a, a lung infection and her vitals were so low and she was on oxygen and it was just like, whoa. Luckily for us, it was, hey, we'll be out there in five days. And so we were able to resolve that issue, but that did lead to us learning about her aspirating and needing a feeding tube and things like that. But um, I can only imagine that if that had kept going and kept going and it kept going, but it had started that way with something sudden that the shock would have been very intense. The second stage is denial, which is akin to disbelief and shock in that it's also a self-preservation tactic Um, And it's a resistance to acceptance, right? You're resisting what you've lost, the child that you've lost or the the life that you thought you would have um, and resisting acceptance of what's true or what's in front of you, which is your child that has special needs. Denial can also be when you claim that what you've lost is not affecting you. Where it's like, oh, not a big deal. I'm just going to roll with the punches. Now, sometimes that might be true, but a lot of the time it's not. And it's how we're resisting that change because it's going to a place that we don't want to go. I definitely did this early on as I would keep asking the therapists when she would catch up or when we could stop therapy. I would ask them how many months till we were done And I remember my daughter's therapist looking at me like, oh, honey, you have no idea what's going on, do you? And perhaps this isn't the same as denial, but I can tell you that even after they told me what to expect realistically, as far as like years and years and years, I can tell you that I did not believe them in the beginning. Like I thought that they didn't know what they were talking about. And that my daughter and I, you know, we were going to be a special case and we were going to come out in a couple months and be fine. And she'd continue to develop normally because there really wasn't anything that we could see at that point that should have prevented it from happening anyway. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And I can tell you that being in denial was hard. Like it, it made it harder I think, than it might have been had I been willing to kind of open my eyes and see what was in front of me. But it wasn't as apparent as some other special needs because nobody knew at that point what was going on. We just knew that she wasn't progressing. The third stage is guilt or pain, which is when a person may feel a consistent sense of what might have been. So for me, it was, you know, as it started to settle in that, okay, this is where we're going and 
and we're not going back. Like it's going to be like this for a long time, maybe for forever. I don't know. That's when I started to feel guilt and pain about, you know, what might have been. And I think my guilt and pain was still overlapping a lot with my denial. So in my case, I felt pain and guilt about, you know, what I possibly did wrong to cause these issues. Like, what did I eat or not eat during my pregnancy? What toxic thing or experience did I come in contact with that caused my child to have these issues? What did I do during birth that caused this? Was I too anxious? Was I not healthy enough? Should I have, you know, not popped the sack so soon during labor and delivery? Did I not feed her enough after she was born? Was I not paying enough attention and the signs were there and I just didn't notice? And that had I paid attention and hadn't missed the signs, maybe I could have, you know, prevented it. Or, you know, maybe if I wasn't so tired and could have stayed awake, I would have seen what was going on and prevented it that way. If I was more assertive, I would have gotten help earlier and we wouldn't have ended up in the hospital. Or how could I not see what the other people were saying when they said her breathing was wet? And at the time I was like, oh no, this is just what it's like for her. You know, how could I have really been so ignorant and what can I do and how come nothing I'm doing is working and why can't I figure this out? All of those thoughts are before learning about my daughter's issues, right? I mean, learning about what it was exactly that was going on. We knew that she was behind, but didn't know why. And after discovering her issues, slowly more pain and guilt kind of set in in the long term, which really brought me through to the fourth stage, which is bargaining. Um, And for me, it sounded a lot like, why is this happening? You know, what did I do wrong? Just tell me and I'll fix it. It feels more like trying to hold on to a very slippery bar of soap. Like the harder I gripped and negotiated for her struggles to go away and my struggles to go away, the quicker hope of a change or a solution slipped away. You know, when you have that soap in your hand and you go to grip it, as soon as you apply that pressure, it just slips out of your hand. And that's what... I felt was happening with hope and solutions in my life is the harder I gripped, the more they slipped. So the further we got into trying to figure out what was going on with our daughter, the more clear it became that nobody knew. And when this realization was clear to me, that bar of soap completely slipped out of my grasp and I was ticked, which led me to the fifth stage of grieving, which was anger My anger sounded like this. I didn't ask for this. What have I done wrong? Why does this have to be so hard? Why does she have to suffer with no purpose or explanation? Why don't the doctors know what's going on? Why are we bouncing around from department to department? Does nobody in this hospital know what they're talking about? Can't they see how hard this is? Do they even have a child like this? Why did I trust them? I can't trust them. I'll just have to figure this out on my own. But I'm so exhausted just keeping up. I felt fiery on the inside. Short-tempered and just ticked. 
and I was blaming everybody else. Like, and I could tell that I was resisting this reality very hard at this point. I was still resisting it and it was everyone else's fault. And I was just so angry that nobody was just fixing it right now. And then as I realized this wasn't getting fixed right away, I slipped into a depression. And this was probably the biggest period of grieving was this depression and feeling of uh, helplessness, really. For me, the overwhelm was huge and some days and some days still is crushing Back then, I felt absolutely helpless, and I had no idea what was going on with her, and the doctors didn't know, and after she got the feeding tube, we still struggled continuously to keep her fed and to keep the food down, which was even more depressing. What we thought would be a solution was not a solution, and that was defeating. For me, I would also add like a stage six and a half which would be apathy. I think that might be the right word and maybe not. And let me describe why. The pain was so overwhelming, but I wasn't like going anywhere. I needed to keep my baby alive. I, that's what I was going to do. And so I turned to apathy or, or numbness to, to step away from the pain and the emotion and the care for just a little while. And I still showed up and I did what I needed to do for her, going to the doctor, feeding her, staying on top of all the things that we needed to stay on top of and tracking everything. But I just wasn't feeling it, which was a really welcomed relief after months of anxiety and trying to figure out what was going on and what to do and and no solution in sight. And so that was definitely a part of my grieving process was just stepping away from all the emotion and almost completely disconnecting, which is actually not necessarily a sign of grieving, but a sign of trauma. And that is um, something that people do in order to deal with it. To deal with the trauma is just disconnect so that you can move on because it's just overwhelming. And I definitely did that. And I can tell you that that definitely extends the grieving period as even in years later, um, I have had moments of trying to reprocess some of those early moments with my daughter and kind of grieving all over again. Now, the seventh stage is acceptance and As I've gone through all of these stages, I can tell that I've repeated them. And some of them I spend a lot more time in, some of them just a little bit of time. And sometimes it's out of order. But a lot of them I feel come in waves. Now I need to clarify what is unique about grieving for a child with special needs. You see, grieving for a child with special needs is like getting on an emotional roller coaster with no stopping point or end. Like it it doesn't fade away with time. In fact, some years are worse than the first years. And it doesn't really get easier as in the grief gets 
less. That hasn't really happened for me anyway. And new waves of grief happen over and over again as you learn about new issues and experience new challenges. It's, it's a, a grief all over again, but brand new. Or you can experience the same old waves of grief over and over again as well with the same issues as they present over and over again. And as your child, you know, as they age, but they don't grow up. So like birthdays, they become moments of grieving. And Christmas becomes moments of grieving. And annual family gatherings become moments of grieving Grieving when their younger cousins begin to surpass as they have developed and, um, and your child has not, even though they're older. And also to see how relationships shift and, and that your child isn't forming the same kind of relationships with their cousins that they have with all the other cousins that are around or the aunts or the uncles. And to, to figure out how to, how to process that when those connections are so wanted. All of this grieving is grieving the loss of the child that you thought that you would have, right? That I mentioned earlier, the life that you thought you would have. The grief of expectations that you didn't know that you had until the pain hits. And I have found that even when I thought I dropped all my expectations, that another wave of grief hits me and I think, oh, wow, I didn't know I wanted that too. And now I can see that I may never get it. It, To me, it feels a bit like being a small child and being told no over and over again about something that you want. You know, hey, can we go to the park? No. Can I play with a friend? No. No, no. And I just hold myself and cry. Hard, hard, ugly cries when moments like this come and they sneak up on me. And I just have come to realize recently that I have resisted it and resisted it and resisted it. And it's made things really hard. And so as I have practiced welcoming them, when the grief comes, that's what I mean by them. When the grief shows up and you have that moment and you can feel it coming, let it come. Let the wave of grief wash over you and consume you. I mean, I wish that I had had a better solution. Like, and I know that my 2016 self would definitely be in denial about this and not want to do it. She would definitely not and be like, I don't need to do that because things are going to be fine. And like the truth is, is that maybe one day things will be fine. But right now they're not. And even if one day they are fine, I promise that if you don't allow the grief to flow, that it will get stuck in you. That's how our emotions work. And I wish that I had had better news, but that's just how it works. And I wish I could tell you that I'd figured out how to just live our lives without cyclical grief, but I haven't. But what I have figured out is that you can experience cyclical grief and still live, have a dynamic and full life, right? Because in the end, grief is 
It's a vibration in your body. It's an emotion. And we can feel emotions. Humans were created to feel and process every emotion that we will ever feel, that, 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 that ever exists for us. So the easier way, not, not the nicest way, but the easier way to go is to feel it and to let it hurt and to let it be sad and to let it just take you away for a minute. And I promise that letting your grief take you for a ride is much more cleansing than resisting it. To me, it's kind of like picking up a bag of heavy bricks in the morning and you just carry it around with you. It's not a problem. Today, you're just going to be a little more heavy, a little more sad. And that's okay because you can carry around that bag. Not a problem. When we make it a problem is when it becomes a problem. Resisting it for me when I did looks like being tough, not crying, denying what I feel, denying what I wanted out of life but might not get, trying to do it all by myself, blaming other people, being in a space of anger, pretending, all of those things for me are resistance. And what's it for you? Because if you become aware of what you're doing that might be resisting the grief and resisting feeling the sadness, it'll get stuck, right? And you can feel, you can tell if it's stuck if you're feeling consistent anger, depression, anxiety, just a resistance to, to your life and what's happening, wishing that things were all different, wishing that your child didn't have special needs. You know, all of these things are small manifestations that resistance might be something that you are harboring and hanging on to. And I promise it is not helping. Here are a few things that I've also learned is that grief is not being sad all the time. Like it comes and it goes. It's fluid. Because I know that the idea for some about just surrendering to grief and letting it flow can be scary. Like what if it's all consuming? What if I never come back up for air? And Emotions, when we just let them be and we feel them, feel it. Where is it in your body? Is it heavy? Is it dark? What does it feel like? You go there and it comes in, moves through and goes out. When you resist, it freezes in place. When you just feel it, it flows through you and out. It's like a wave, right? When you resist it, it's like that wave is about to crest and then it freezes in place. And instead of cresting and falling back into the ocean, it stays frozen in front of your face. Grief all the time. And the longer it sits in front of your face, the more overwhelming it becomes and the more blind you are. 
and the more of your life that you miss because you can't see the rest of the ocean because this frozen wave of grief is just there in front of you. But I want to offer to you to let the grief come, to surrender to it. Just let it flow through your body. It doesn't mean that you can't keep living, right? It it doesn't mean that you can't stop and cry. It just means that today is going to be a little bit sadder and more painful than some of the other days. Or maybe it's just this moment is more full of grief and that the next will be maybe neutral, or maybe it will be happy and exciting. See, because the thing is that I've learned about emotions, and I'm going to say it again, is that they move. When we let it come, it moves in, moves through, moves out. And emotions that are necessary suffering do move out, and grief is one of those. So let it happen. Surrender to it. You were made to feel these kinds of things. You'll be okay. And it's easier to feel it than to resist it. And you'll notice that your life will feel lighter as you don't hang on to those things and you feel them and let them go. It's like standing in the ocean and letting the waves come up and then go back down. You got this. If you like what you're hearing, give me a like, follow, a comment, share it with your friends and family that you think will benefit from it. And I'll see you again next week. Take care. <laughs>